So I don't know. I mean, uh, um, we can talk about your essay. It's, yeah, it's, I'm, that's what I'm prepared for. I mean, your essay is now how many weeks old? Uh, three, four? It's timeless. It is timeless because I read a <laughs> version of it in November, I feel like, right? Oh, yeah. You've read various iterations of it. That's yeah, true. Yeah. I just, I just, I went and reread it again to see. I mean, it was a, it was in pretty final shape in November. I mean, like, I don't think it changed that much since so the draft I, I saw. I actually had a bit more parts on Germany. If you recall, I, I had a couple quotes from uh, leaders of the right wing party in Germany, the AFD. Yeah. And I was going into more this question of how German identity is constructed. And they had some very interesting things to say about that. But I think that the editors felt at the end that it distracted too much from the main focus because it's primarily a piece not about Europe, but about the U.S. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, uh, but actually, so it came out in online a couple of weeks ago, but, um, oh, it's going in print, right? It's in print in, for the, for the April issue. And that's hitting newsstands like now. It's April. Well, like I guess two days it came, or something. It came, uh, on newsstands, it came out. Oh, of before. course. No, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They do that. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have my nice little copy. My parents saw that. Yeah. Is this your first like big print? Like, uh, uh, Not in general, but for the Atlantic. For the Atlantic, for the this Atlantic, is your big... Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's thank great. Thank you, yeah. yeah. Your parents are proud? <laughs> yeah, but they'd be proud of anything I do. Really? Anything? I mean, as long as it's good. As long as it's not illegal. <laughs> if you rob the biggest bank, would they be proud? They might be proud of that. Okay. No, I don't think they want me to break any laws. Yeah. I think that they care about legal structures. Right, right. Yeah, so I mean, uh, but the interesting stuff is that again, the the, the timeliness of the piece. Um, I, I forwarded to the to you, and then I saw you you tweeted, and then I saw maybe you even got cited in the Washington Post as yeah. a result of your tweet. So the new Pew studies about uh, religiosity in uh, or at least affiliation. Yeah, right? so there's a new Gallup survey that's Gallup. out, and we actually included that in the Atlantic article pre published So that the latest poll hadn't actually come out. Mm. And but uh, my fact checker actually um, wanted to double check on the numbers with Gallup, so um, and that's when it became clear that it was dropping even more um, in 2020. Yeah. So where church membership had previously been hovering at around 51 percent or so, it dropped further to 48 percent. So it's it's a very striking drop over the last 20 years, and that was sort of how I oriented the essay. That because it had been hovering around seventy percent for most of the uh, the second half of the twentieth century, right? Yep, yep. Then all of a sudden, in the last twenty years or so, we see this very sudden drop. So it's not as if the secularization process had taken hold in the eighties or even in the nineties. Something in the late nineties, early two thousands just apparently clicked. Yep. And there's a lot of speculation about how or why that would have happened. I have my own ideas about that. Um, I don't go into too much detail into as to why I think Christianity declined. It's more, the piece was more about what are the effects of this? What does it mean for yep. American identity and the future of American politics? Um, but I think it is a really interesting question that I don't, it, it's not necessarily my role as a non-Christian to tell Christians why Christianity has in some sense failed. Right. Although it is funny you, it's funny that I mentioned, well, that I mentioned this. It's that funny that I mentioned this. <laughs> it's anyway. funny that I mentioned this because um, my Friday essay, which will be coming out in two days. And I'll say a few words about what we're trying to do with that. 
uh, I started drafting it today, and the tentative title that I have is The End of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And this is where I want to explore a little bit more to build on my Atlantic article to ask this question of why has Christianity in America failed to resist this growing secularization? Why hasn't it had the internal resources to resist? Because for many decades it did. So unlike Western Europe, um, the 60s onwards, the U.S. remained uniquely devout among Western democracies. But that resistance now has come under question. Now we're converging more and more with the Western European model, not to the same extent, because it would be very hard to get to the the level of non-Christianity that we see in countries like France, the Netherlands, or Sweden, but that's a trend line that we're going in. And so just to say yeah. a word about the Friday essay, just because I guess we haven't really uh, hyped it up for our listeners, but we're really, really excited about this. Last Friday was the, fir the inaugural um, uh the inaugural edition, I guess, of the Friday essay. The launch. The launch, if you will, courtesy of Demir. Um, what was the title, Demir? Again, it was the paradox. Yeah, the paradoxes of American faith. Yeah. And single paradox. Oh, oh, sorry. The one paradox of American the only faith. Paradox. There is only one. There is only one. And this is really cool because we're going to be alternating Demir and I most weeks. So it's my turn this week. And this will be for subscribers only. Um, and so if you guys are interested in that, we would encourage you to consider subscribing, uh, by going to wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe. What we wanted to do was to offer something a little bit more regular for subscribers and added benefit where they can sort of expect something week after week. Because up until now, I think some of our paid content has been a little bit ad hoc. And I think that we have to, we have to be a little bit more, I think, serious about a schedule. Yes. So this is our attempt to offer something which we think, um, will be special. And I'm actually, and it's not just something that we just kind of, um, we, we just kind of like, uh, what's the appropriate word? Like shit out of our, we don't, it's not like <laughs> something that, no, no, no. Shadi's mom is not happy. <laughs> but, um, it's like a proper essay. And I think one that we'll be giving uh, quite a bit of thought to. And it's a way for us to, it's a way to force Demir and I basically to have an essay in the truest sense of the word, which is what the, I guess the etymology of essay is that it's a way to ask yourself and to ask others a question. And to try your best to offer a tentative answer to it in a more sort of coherent form. So that'll be fun to do, I guess, for me every other week. Um, yep. And uh, so stay tuned for that, guys and gals. Um, Indeed. Two days for that. Uh, well, I guess when this will come out, it'll be the following day. So if you hear this and you want to get this straight into your inbox, I mean, feel free to consider subscribing. But I, I, the reason that I bring this up, in addition to trying to entice you with our wares. Uh, the other reason is I think it gets to this bigger question of why Christianity isn't as compelling as it maybe it should be. And I say should be here because you'd think with the, the growing polarization, the growing vacuum in American life, the decline in associational activity where more and more Americans are quote unquote bowling, bowling alone or, uh, the opioid epidemic, all of these things have been intensifying over the last two decades or so. And this is part of the broader context for the question, right? 
So you'd think that with these things going on, that more Americans would be searching for meaning. And I think more Americans are searching for meaning. The question is, why aren't they finding that meaning in traditional Christianity? Because, because um, if people are looking, that would be one of the obvious options. But if anything, they're turning away from traditional Christianity, even in red states, even among younger Republicans, so on and so forth. So there's a fit in some fundamental sense, there's a failure of Christianity and a failure more specifically of institutional Christianity. Well, so, you know, let me just, uh, I mean, you know, the, I can sort of use what I wrote in the last Friday essay, but, but really it's, it's a slightly different point I want to push you on now. Um, early on before you were doing the pitch on the Friday essay, um, I, I feel like you, you juxtaposed, uh, or you, you had it that Christianity was holding secularism at bay and is no longer doing that. I, 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 I guess the, the, the question I'd have for you is, and you said like, you know, you admitted that it's not, it's not even quasi European. That's not quite right. Uh, the reason it's not quasi European is that the nuns, I think, the nuns that, the non affiliated, the ones that are rising at the expense of Christianity. Um, I remember when, I've mentioned it before in the, on the podcast when uh, the great sociologist of religion, Peter Berger, was uh, writing for the American Interest regularly, and I was editing him, and Peter was just one of the most amazing people, just someone, you know, as someone who's personally, I'm not at all religious, and it was just wonderful to talk to a, a man who's a believer himself, though a very sort of uh, laid-back German Lutheran, um, uh, just, you know, editing him and just talking to him about this sort of stuff. He was really taken by the rise of the nuns. He would write every so often about this. And the, the thing that he would always come back to is that, you know, the nuns are not secular. The nuns are non-affiliated. Um, and, you know, Peter's last book, actually, I'm not going to look it up now, but uh, it, it, it dealt with secularism. And it was, it, was, it was about the paradoxes of secularization. He had this, uh, you know... Um, I, one of the things I remember he grappled with a lot was this idea of, uh, you know, that you have evangelicals uh, who quite seriously believe in the literalism of the Bible and yet uh, are able to in no way find uh, or find it difficult to reconcile modernity and all that modernity brings with it, you know, all, all of that with a, a very literal reading of the Bible. Uh, none of this sort of stuff that you'll find Europeans saying, you know, especially these like fallen, decrepit, uh, you know, just uh, atheist Europeans are just like, well, it's all a metaphor, of course. And, you know, just like a, no, like very serious, but you know, that this poses no real challenge in modernity, this kind of thing. So, I mean, that was one thing he always talked about, about, you know, the sort of secularization paradox. And he would, he was, he would always sort of lean on that to then I think talk about things like, like the rise of the nuns, um, and in the, you know, again, it, it's, it's something that I, I sort of gesture at though in a different way in the, in my, my attempt at the Friday essay is, is that, you know, the nuns are non affiliated, but they're not non religious and, uh, they're not, uh, they're not secular. It's not, it's not a secularization problem so much as a non affiliation problem. So it's like, I, I wonder if, if the better question for you is, is did Christianity fail or did, sort of institutionalized Christianity Christianity fail, as you, again, sort of yeah, gestured at yeah. the end there. So I don't know, say a few it's words a about that. It's a good question. Um, well, first, first thing is that at least 
how most surveys use the use the word or the the term the nuns and we should clarify for our listeners who may not be familiar with this term that we're not talking about nuns, nuns yeah. as in like the uh christian women yeah, not who cover N-U-N, their hair. but n-o-n-e yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah but um most i believe i mean certainly um uh the surveys that i cited in my piece include atheists and agnostics in there of course there aren't as so nuns are about a quarter of the population now which is a pretty big chunk and there's been a pretty rapid rise so atheists are only one portion of that so you're right that included in that overall figure there are people who are a little bit harder to define there may be a little bit more in between and certainly non-affiliated and they don't go to a particular church in other words and this is one of the criticisms um that that I got after my Atlantic piece came out, which was, well, Shadi, you're focusing on measures of church membership, but you can be a Christian without belonging to a church, which is true. That said, if you look at some of the other Gallup figures, the number of Americans who say that um, that God, uh, it's either God or religion. Um, um, I think it's God. God is either very important or extremely important in their daily life is also at an all-time low. Mm-hmm. So it's not just being a member of a church. So the number in 2020 is 48%. And this is a very steep decline relative to uh, the 60s. That was the high point when it was about 75%. Mm. And it's been going, I mean, it's not as stark of a decline in the last two decades, but we are at a low point. 48% is not a very, um, it's not a high number. And if you want to compare it to, say, Muslim-majority countries in the Middle East or South and Southeast Asia, the comparable figure of Muslims who say that uh, God or religion plays an important uh, important role in their daily life is as high as 90 to 95% in certain countries. So clearly the U.S., is again entering more into uh European territory here. But even if you even if you acknowledge that um let's say it was primarily about not belonging to a church, you would still have a problem there because the benefit of being Christian socially and publicly has to do with being part of a group or an association because when when we're because what is this whole debate about? It's about religion playing either a constructive role or a negative role in public life. If people are keeping their Christianity to themselves and it's a kind of private matter of conscience or con- uh, or conviction, but they're not acting in a Christian way in terms of their associational life and they're not part of organizations or churches or they're not doing charity work and one of the major drivers of philanthropy and and charity work, especially on the local level, comes from churches or Christian organizations. So even if people are remaining Christian, but they're not belonging to a church, we still have an issue because society isn't benefiting from the outward aspects of Christianity, right? Yeah, yeah, the civil um, society part, like the basically civil society. Civil part. society. One, one, one could like frame your your concern as like the erosion of one of the key pillars of American civil society. Exactly, and I think there's also this um, there's this secular premise, a very, a very modern premise that religion is about personal and individual conviction. It's about one's personal relationship with God. 
Of course, that's an important part of religion. It's one that I take very seriously. I don't like, I'm not a member of a mosque myself. And it's an interesting sort of comparison, like what does it really mean to be a member of a mosque per se? Um, but I, I would say that my own Islam doesn't benefit society. Well, in some ways, one could argue that because I write about this stuff and I'm talking about it like pretty much all the time, that's my contribution to public life. But short of that, it's my being Muslim is not actually helping any particular local community precisely because I am not a member of a local mosque and precisely because that's not how I organize my life yeah. in, in terms of associations or civil society organizations that I'm part of. So that's what I think we have to be worried about. Um, and, you know, obviously in a pre-modern context, to be a Muslim or to be a Christian wasn't primarily an individual thing. You were embedded in a community. You were embedded in interlocking um, social organizations and, 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 um, charity groups and in and religious endowments, so on and so forth. So I think that this is a big problem. So I, I don't think that the response can just be, well, oh, people are doing their own thing or the nuns are finding own wit their own ways to be vaguely Christian or deist or theist or whatever. Um, because we're, we still have this question of the vacuum that is in how people like live with their peers and with their fellow Americans. And that's what I think we have to be able to address. I mean, so does that make sense? No, that makes sense. You know, the, um, I guess, I guess the, the, uh, just the way I approach the problem. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I tweeted it and I, you know, I wrote it in the Friday essay as well. I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't think there's much disagreement in, uh, between me and you on your diagnosis and the rest of this. I guess it's just, maybe it's just a, a difference of framing to a certain extent. And, and I, I won't pull up your essay to find the quote. You could probably conjure it up out of your, out of, out of thin air, but it was something along the lines of like American identity is not, not, uh, is not defined by Christianity, but it has always had a strong Christian component yeah. to it. Right. Um, that sounds like something I would say. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I read it. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I, th I think it's something you would write. Uh, in any case, I, there was a there was a, you know, I, I read that and 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 again, it's like I say yes, uh, but I wonder if like the way to think about what's going on. Um, I guess put it this way: I I I I think we most closely agree in the diagnosis that there's some kind of. Uh, Perhaps crisis happening in uh, the, the the concept of Americanness and the sort of legitimating concept of what brings that together. Um, and you know, I mean, we've had both like online and off, like all sorts of conversations with with uh, with people. I mean, together and, and separately, it's you get a sense, especially among younger people, that uh, like a still strong faith that they can't really articulate about the cohesiveness of America that it's just based on on this like very general and broad concept of equality and dignity that like if as long as that's preserved and tended to all the diversity in the world doesn't doesn't really undermine that and that that's enough i've 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 always been very skeptical of that um however i guess i guess the the you know the, it's not a problem with how you frame it because I think it's part of it, but I just wonder if, if it's, if that's not the bigger question rather than 
the decline of Christianity. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's obviously Christianity is a big part, but maybe even let me let me take it a little further and be a little more provocative. Um, what we've lost in the 20th century is uh, ultimately what um, what Sam Huntington ended up getting pilloried for in his last book, right? That the 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 one where he was panicked about Hispanics. Uh, who are we, right? Um, we've lost a kind of narrower uh, Protestant identity that was, you know, a part and core to a certain kind of American elite self-conception. It meant that America was a country of old white men and old white Protestant men, Catholics until, you know, well, mid-century were also kept out of it. It was Protestant. Um, and so throughout the 20th century, there's been this expansion. Um, I think I must have said this on the podcast. I'll just, you know, again, like, um, well, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> it, it was, a, it was a, um, a conversation I had uh, about this very point with um, uh, our, my former editor, Adam Garfinkel. Um, and I, you know, I was just basically sort of riffing on this, this very question about, you know, the core unifying principle of America and how, you know, it used to be wasps, basically wasp men and, and the kind of like old boys network that that entailed. Um, and that while that was oppressive in many ways, it was an organizing principle that throughout the course of the 20th century has been uh, eroded away. And you end up with, you know, a kind of nervousness about this from Sam Huntington, I think. And it's easy to dismiss him as cranky at the end of his life and, and, you know, letting his bigotries fly. But I mean, if you, if you want to be, if you want to be charitable to the argument, it's that, it's that argument that like, you know, you have to have some sort of something to bind the thing. And so Adam said to me, basically, he's like, you know, as a Jew, as an Orthodox Jew, uh, I'll tell you, you know, I was the first, you know, my dad was a milkman in DC. I was the first one to go to college. I can't tell you I like growing up that I, I would not imagine that the country would be where it is right now. And the benefits, like I couldn't imagine that I could be and have done what I would have done, you know, in the country of my youth, basically. So, you know, he's not, he's not uh, in any way saying that, that like, you know, this is easy to dismiss or anything like that. But he said, you know, there's something there. Ultimately, there's something there about this, this unifying core thing. And I'm struck when, again, I talk to younger people about this sort of stuff, uh, that they really think that that kind of like a, a really dumbed down version of the founding principles of this country as you're taught in first grade, basically, you know, um, you can just whitewash everything else out of it and you're left with that and you can organize a polity around that. That's what I'm worried about, that that doesn't hold, you know? It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. And so I, anyway, I so that's a, a bit of a, no, a long well, rant. No, that yeah. up because I, you know, in the article... I struggled at the end because, you know, at the end of a long essay, you want to come up with some kind of comforting conclusion. You want to show people a way out. And I should also say that, um, you know, for those of you who haven't read it, um, we'll include it, the link in the show notes. It's also titled America Without God, if you just want to search for it. But and I, and I don't want to just like repeat what I said, assuming that some of you will have read it, but to to kind of take it a step further I think there's a couple things here. I mean, one is that, I mean, one question is to what extent all Americans can share in what was once a common Christian culture. So, you know, I'm, you know, again, I'm in the odd position of being a non-Christian. And when I say I'm a non-Christian, I should clarify what I mean by that. It's not just that I'm Muslim. It's also that I 
to be explicit, I don't believe Christianity is true. Right. I believe it has truth in it, in, in the kind of vague sense that we might look at other monotheistic faiths and there's commonalities and things that we can draw upon. But, you know, I think that you don't have to believe something is true to share in its culture. So I'd be perfectly comfortable as a believing Muslim to also subscribe to, I guess, a common Christian culture. And that might sound odd to people, but I have a deep appreciation for Christianity. I think it's good. And I would actually like more, more, uh, more Americans to subscribe to the core precepts of Christianity, so on and so forth. And I think that, I mean, I can't quote a lot of biblical verses, but there's a few that I'm familiar with. And I, I think I, I like, I like being with my outwardly Christian friends and colleagues, and I've learned a lot from them. But I think this gets at a, a really fundamental point that even if you didn't believe in the Christian creed yourself, you could still appreciate the provenance, if you will, of American culture and how Christianity wasn't like central to the founding. Obviously, we know that some of the founders weren't, you know, even perhaps believers in the Trinity. And that's a, that's a big debate about to what extent the founders were actually believers. But I think that Christianity does a couple th couple things. I mean, first of all, it transcended party. And I think what's really dangerous now is that the partisan divide is overlaid with the religious divide. So if you are a Christian conservative, or let's say if you are a small O Orthodox Christian, in other words, not like a diluted mainstream Protestant, uh, not to kind of uh, disparage Episcopalians, but, um, <laughs> but you're not, if, if you're like a serious Christian and you, and you, and you follow it and you, you practice it in a conservative way, there's a strong likelihood that you are a Republican. That wasn't the way it was before. You would find, um, observant strict Christians in both parties. Now you still find, um, some, in the Democratic Party, if we're talking about the black church, but if you're a white, strict Christian, you're, you're pretty much going to be a Republican, you know, probability speaking. That's a big problem that we have one party, the Democratic Party, that is increasingly secularized if we're talking about the white liberal component of it. And then, I mean, so that, that's a big problem. And that's when I, so when I talk about the lack of a common Christian culture, we're also talking about um, a lack of a, this lack of a common Christian culture manifesting itself in a particular partisan divide. And that's relatively recent. Um, the, the other thing, so the, yeah, I think that, that to me is probably the part that I find most troubling. And then th the lack of, the lack of respect for biblical literacy or any kind of basic Christian literacy. And I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, this tweet that gets shared around by Christian folks on Twitter, which I think captures this, that Sean Penn made some comment, like some tweet, which he never deleted, because I don't know if he even realizes how dumb it was. And Sean Penn is an actor. Um, is he a smart actor? <laughs> for those of you who might not have heard of him. But he said something like, well, oh, um, evangelicals should get like a talking down to from the Pope. Like the Pope should tell them what's what. And Sean Penn's Irish, isn't he? So he's Catholic. So 
perhaps. I mean, I'm just yeah, trying. Yeah, well, I'm just trying to. I don't I'm, know what's going on in his head. I'm but. trying to gauge whether he's just a dumb actor or or he is actually <laughs> deviously political and like an That's arch Catholic of some sort. He's like everyone should kind of pay heed to the Pope to the to Pope. Catholic doctrine or whatever. He might believe that. <laughs> Maybe he does. Anyway, go on. That would be devious. But I mean, there is a kind of basic um, religious illiteracy. Where our, our sort of secular elites, uh, just don't really know basic things about Christianity. Yeah. And, and, um, and that contributes to this broader divide anyway. So I think that's, yeah. that's part of it too. So, you know, like, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by it. Again, on the, the overlay of parties and the division there, that's, that, again, 100% agree. Um, I, 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 and you know what? Like, I, I think like biblical literacy, I, I'll say that's one thing that, um, you know, my parents uh, raised me, did many great things for me when I was growing up. Uh, one was insisting that English never gets spoken in, at home when we moved to the United States. Never, like, never gets spoken? Never. We, I could not say a word in English at home. If I didn't know the I word— I didn't know that, actually. If I didn't you. know a word in, in, in uh, Croatian, or at the time, you know, we got here in the 80s, so Yugoslavia is still around, Serbo-Croatian. If I didn't know the word, uh, I would say—I'd uh, have to say, how do you say in Serbo-Croatian, and then the English word, and then that was it. Huh. So that was a very strict rule. So I preserved my language. Uh, and it, Was that the main goal, that they wanted you to just be yeah. very serious about preserving? Yeah, they were—they yeah. said—because, you know, they'd also— saw how their friends uh, were oftentimes raising. And actually, a lot of, I think, uh, you know, immigrant families that come to this country, uh, they want the best for their kids and they uh, they want to, you know, practice English or whatever. But of course, they knew I was doing English, you know, uh, most of my day in school and everything else um, that, you know, I mean, they both speak very good English. My dad, you know, I mean, you know, flawless. They read in English as of natives, but you know, like there's no need for them to help me with English basically. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's one, one thing they did for me and, you know, I mean, encouraged me to read and all the rest of this, but one thing I never had, uh, and it's, it's interesting that I, I've felt it for the rest of my, uh, sort of life basically is a basic biblical literacy because I never went to Sunday school. Uh, we were, you know, like properly a, a secular, uh, you know, I push my parents. I'd say they're they're agnostic. I don't think they're they're militantly atheist. Though my dad did really enjoy Christopher Hitchens' last book and <laughs> was like running around with it, you know, uh, when before Hitchens died and being like, "Oh, so many good things in here," you know. <laughs> but but uh, um, <clears throat> but I never had that, you know. I never had that, and I remember in college when I uh, I took uh, sort of you know. Uh, this this English, you know, big survey class from like Gilgamesh on. And we spent a good time, a good chunk of that time reading the Old and New Testament. That was the first time in college that I actually encountered any of that. Obviously, you know, you, 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 it comes through osmosis, but you never really. So, you know, again, I that's a, a big aside to just basically say that I, I, I agree with you that, that biblical literacy as part of a certain kind of core culture is um, – really important or even just or even just to respect it doesn't have to be like knowing verses that might be i mean that's not like an important thing it's more that a respect for people for other people who take the bible seriously and to not be dismissive of it and to appreciate that it's not just a crutch i mean i remember you know talking to um non-religious friends it always you know you you talk about why people decide to be religious and whether it's worth being religious on an individual level and i remember 
you know, so often I would hear this this idea that Christianity or religion more broadly is a crutch for the weak-minded. I mean, this is so it's so common. It's not even it's not even something that's explicitly said. It's in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And um that But you know, let me just jump in because here's the thing. Um I t- I know I know what you're saying about this respect for people who do take it seriously and do believe yeah. it. But what I'm getting at and, and again, it was in in your 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 last uh bit when you were just talking about, you know, this both polarization and this lack of cultural literacy. <laughs> I think what strikes me about it again, it's 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 that that it's the cultural literacy and that on that level of cultural glue where I'm troubled by this more rather than on the level of faith where I think you're troubled by this more. Can, can you say a little bit more about how you make that distinction, the cultural glue versus the question of faith? Well, so, okay. Because um, in some ways I thought, I, I, I guess I would think I would agree with you insofar that I said that you don't have to be Christian yourself to appreciate the common yeah, Christian culture. No, no, exactly. I, I, again, I don't think we agree. I think it's, it's, I don't think we disagree. I think it's just basically maybe just a slight, yeah. like can maybe 30, 30 degrees of like different approach angle to it. Um, I guess, I guess part of this is what I was getting at, uh, in, in, in my Friday essay, which was a reaction to your piece in its own way. You know, I mean, yeah. there, there's, there's something about America and the American faith that, um, I think owes a lot to Christianity and even more specifically owes a lot to a certain kind of Christianity, Protestantism. I mean, it's, it's grounded in it. it. It lives and breathes it. It's really striking. I was just thinking, as you were saying how, you know, well, I don't know exactly, you know, the extent to which belonging to a mosque within Islam is that important, but it does sound like you have a pretty Protestant, uh, uh, approach to Islam. Uh, or if that's weird or different, I don't know from, 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 you know, in general, but, hmm. you know, that's hmm. just sort of throwing that out there. But it's, it's again, um, you know, once one thinks about this American faith, and I, I used in the essay the jumping off point, um, uh, these essays by by this this uh, this writer Wallace Stegner who's writing about the West, um, and they're not uh, really about uh, religion at all, um, and they're 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 about a certain kind of approach to America that is shaped by the wilderness and the rest of this. But it really just sort of got me thinking about what is this essence of Americanism, and. Uh, you know, I, I, I hedge in the essay by saying obviously Protestantism has adapted itself to America and shaped America in a particularly good way. And has, it's been able to preserve its Christianity because of its ability uh, to shape itself in this very one to one thing. Mm. Like the lack of uh, intermediation is is less important. Stegner talks about basically his idea of the Western American, like uh, out West as as one who is actually quite distant from the institutions that define Europe, quite frankly. And and many of those are deeply institutionalized churches with long traditions. So you have this kind of, um, I talk about it in terms of syncretism of just like, you know, piling on levels of, of meaning and faith and creating this kind of thing that is American faith. But maybe a, a different way to even think about it is like, what is Americanism? And it's a lot of sort of sublimated, call it, sublimated Christian things that, and it's wrong to say that they're secular. That's what I was getting at about the question of nuns. It's not secularized Christianity. People, I think, make that mistake a lot. And you and I have talked about this too. The, the American idea is sacred in many ways. It's, it's a religious idea in many ways. And so, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, 
I guess that's the thing that like when we talk about what's happening right now uh, and we 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 ponder the nuns and we ponder this this crazy moment of of, uh, you know, woke activism and it's religious overtones that are still tinged with this kind of like like radical, you know, like almost, you know, hard left, like not whatever cultural Marxism. I know right wingers like saying that, but you know what I mean? It's like this this kind of grounded certainty in a, in a fake scientism about stuff. Right. Um, I still think and I still wonder with all the caveats of like where we are and how bad it is. I, I wonder. I wonder if like we're just thinking the difference between how you and I are approaching the problem is that you're focusing on this faith element and I'm maybe just focusing on this Americanism element that I completely acknowledge is deeply grounded in faith. But I wonder whether you're strict dichotomizing it between secularism and like belief um, misses something about how Americanism works. Yeah, and I think this uh, this is why I think your your essay was was really it was fascinating for me, and I didn't know exactly what you'd be writing, and then I saw it in in the kind of uh, draft page because um, generally Demir and I we take a look at each other's stuff uh, just to catch like you know last minute errors or things that need to be changed. But um, I I loved it because it's actually a, a pretty novel argument that I haven't really seen a lot or perhaps at all elsewhere where you, you basically make the case for a kind of religious syncretism that is at the heart of the American idea that it's it's less and it's interesting there because there is there is some I, I, I don't know if data is the right word but evidence if we look um, back to the 1700s and 1800s that church membership was not an important metric it was actually quite low um, so when we talk about the decline of church membership, we're comparing now to the rest of the 20th century. If, if we're comparing to the 18th century, church membership wasn't particularly important and it was actually like relatively low, hmm. including I, if I, if I remember correctly, also, um, in the early 19th century before the Civil War. But, um, but also people were very religious without necessarily being in a church, um, around the time of the Civil War. But putting all that aside, I think you get at this, this very interesting idea of a distrust for intermediaries, a distrust for institutions, but also people were, in a sense, not nomadic per se, but they were moving a lot. And this frontier mentality of being your own person and finding your own way was actually quite conducive to an to a religious syncretism that drew on different traditions and wasn't particularly small o orthodox. So I think that's actually, um, you know, and I, I would tell you that if you were, an, if you if you really wanted to, like that could be like um, like a subplot in in a book that you wrote. But I guess that's not, I mean, you're not like someone who's writing necessarily about religion, but yeah. if you wanted to, like someone, I, I, maybe someone has written this before, mm. but um, so I like this idea a lot. Um, and it's one that I don't know a lot about since I have not traveled in the American West that much. And you had a very, a, a very memorable line in your piece where you say something about what defines the American West is this this freedom from history mm. 
or a kind of conscious distancing from being bounded by history that Americans were able to to sign, kind of supersede that. And it actually reminds me a little bit of a, one of our previous guests, Bruno Machais, what, what he talks about that Americans Americans can sort of transcend the end of history because there is something fundamental to the American idea that allows us to be irrational and not irrational in the bad way, but but the two are obviously intertwined. For for a people that are into into dreaming and irrational ideas, the bad will always be intertwined with the good. You can't have one without the other. So when we have like all this crazy shit with like QAnon and like not being able to like take COVID seriously, like in the early months, that goes hand in hand with the American idea that we are not like others and we don't have to follow the rules that also helped us with the vaccine rollout. So when, when, so America was bad in the first part of COVID, but we're one of the best in the second part of COVID. And it's unclear to me if you can, uh, you can be good in the second without being bad in the first. So I think all of this plays into this idea of a kind of ingrained frontier mentality that is inherent to the American idea. I don't know if I'm doing justice to, I don't know if you want to say more about that, if I've captured no, it in no, quite the right yeah, way. No, I think that captures it. Look, the, the, the thing that, that's, that I think, you know, just sort of provokes me and just, I don't know, excites, makes me nervous is, <clears throat> is that, you know, there's clearly a, a capacity for, seemingly limitless reinvention in America for both the individual and the American idea. And yet I feel, or I fret, and this is where, you know, I would say this is the sort of, you know, uh, inflection point between me and, and more optimistic younger people who, who say, well, obviously this is all fine. This is ferment and the American who are idea. These young people who are optimistic, Demir. I don't know. I mean, anyone I feel like who you young talk people to... are pretty dark. They, they've, they're starting to give up on the American idea. I don't know if they are believers in America as much as well, no, my generation but, was. But we've talked about this, right? I mean, it's, we, we talked about it with, with, uh, uh, with Christine when she was here, like, you know, um, basically, uh, with Christine Embo when she was here. I mean, like, it, it's, it's the question of, you know, what is the woke project, you know? And yeah. I mean, if you, if you give, if you, if you're maximally charitable to wokeism, it is an argument that uh, if we boil down the American idea to a certain sense of basic equity and dignity um, and ensure that that plays out, that's all you need. Um, my criticism has always been that I, I don't think that that's enough uh, to basically do a, like keep a polity together. I think it's a it's a fine thing to drive a certain kind of activism, which as part of a greater whole, I think can help shape and reshape and reform and rebirth the American idea. I worry about it as being taken as too much of a gospel truth by too many people, and it becomes a, you know, a totalizing political project that is actually not realistic in many ways, um, and too narrow to appeal politically more broadly outside of its, its, its sort of thing. It's kind of like when you think about it, what drives wokeism in its sort of, you know, again, if you're being maximally charitable, it's, it's kind of like when you think about it, Martin Luther King's idea without the Christianity. It's, you know, Martin Luther King's thing was always, you know, we need to be uh, living up to the founding ideals. But so all that wokeism is, is like, yeah, we need to be living up to the founding ideals. They're equality. Now, 
fucking get out of the way. I'm going to, you know, like do whatever the hell, you know, and it's, it's very aggressive. There was that, that, that Christian element because King was himself, you know, uh, a, a pastor, a preacher. And so that perhaps, you know, shows the difference between then and now. I guess the optimism, though, if you talk to people who are defending the, the moment and are most sort of uh, positive about it is to say is is that they say that there are no limits to this, that we've captured what the American ideal is. It's in these two simple things. Maybe I'm oversimplifying a bit for effect here, but it's that's it. That's all you need to build an equitable policy, a polity. And, you know, tied into this is another level of sort of, I think, optimism among, you know, certain kind of young people that it's like it's it's a conviction that one can organize the world around the concept of the principles of equity and dignity and then add democracy to that and you're good. OK, but look, I, that's I all mean, false. Yeah, I yeah and I agree. I mean – First of all, equity is not inherent to the American idea. I mean, not to kind of like unpack what that word means. I mean, that is not what being American is about. Maybe, it, I mean, at least that hasn't been the case up until now. But I'm also glad that you bring up uh, King because, I mean, not to go into this too much and open a can of worms. We're also later in the episode, so I don't think any of my enemies will listen to this particular part. But like, I mean, King and the civil rights movement in the 60s were unabashedly anti-woke in part because they were unabashedly Christian. I don't believe that you can be a fully-fledged Christian, or for that matter, a fully-fledged Muslim, and still embrace wokeness as your organizing architecture, if you will. But putting that aside, I mean, I think that um, part part of what I'm worried about is that these woke folks— they don't actually they're not grounding the the principles of equity and dignity in the Amer- in american history in the american founding in the american project for them the american the american story is actually anathema to the very equity and dignity that they're pursuing there's a ten- there's not just a tension but an outright contradiction this is why i think that um i don't want to make it into like some big cause of mine but 1619 to try to like reconceptualize the founding in such a manner i think it's ultimately destructive because it um you know uh it actually it, it's actually about drawing upon those contradictions it's about saying that the traditional american founding in 1776 is not in line with justice and dignity for people of color or for just Americans more broadly. And um, to have an idea of America that is divorced from the American founding, that is what I'm ultimately worried about. Um, and and this is where Christianity, I think, does come in. as yeah. And again, like, but again, just to stress, I think the the where you and I just sort of approach it differently is that I'm less concerned about how avowedly religious that American Christianity is. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe we're actually not that differently, but you know, I guess I I approach it as a mostly secular person myself, as this idea of this faith as being, um, yeah, I don't know, sublimated rather than secularized. I think that's the best way to put it. And you know, it brings to mind, you know, it's been a while since I read it, but it's, it's an excellent book and I would highly recommend it. Um, Tom Holland's Dominion, the British historian, where he makes a, a pretty ambitious argument that, which I don't fully agree with, but I, I, I very much respect the argument, 
which is basically that, and I'm not doing it justice, but that there are these ideas that are central to secular Western civilization today. So when we talk about human rights and the individual, um, you know, individual agency, autonomy, freedom of conscience, so on and so forth, that this wouldn't have been possible without Christianity, that Christianity provides a kind of original architecture for what would become the humanist ideals of secular Western civilization. So every pretty much like even in a thoroughly secularized Europe, a lot of what they're talking about without even realizing it is actually, as you say, sublimated Christian ideas. Um, I think there's some tension in that argument because if Christianity brought us to the wonders of modern Western civilization, great for Christianity, but the fact that it ceased to be explicitly Christian points to a kind of inherent dilemma there and problem. Like if Christianity can give us these great things, but ultimately stops being what it previously was, then, you know, there's, there's almost a kind of tautological aspect to the, to the argument, but it's still, it's still an excellent book that I think provoked me a lot. But Um, that's, that's exactly where I think the difference between the U S and Europe ends up like breaking. I don't know if you agree with this, but I, I, I think, and I intuit this, I, is that, is that Europe has, uh, a kind of, uh, scientist break with tradition hmm. and, and enlightenment, you know, especially in the 20th century, perhaps especially after the Holocaust, uh, the ultimate theodicy. Like there's, there's, there's a break there. I arguably it happens in the, in the 19th century, but certainly it breaks hard in the 20th century. Um, and that's what I mean about like, you know, you know, as you, this is where, where, where in the American context, Exactly where I think uh, your frame I'm, I'm not fully on board with is because you said, you know, Christianity gets you all this, but then sort of withers away. I think the American context, again, it gets sublimated and it's reinvented in its own sort of way. Again, I say that without saying that the wokes are reinventing Christianity. I'm not saying that. Okay. Um, but I think I think that there's something about and that's the question is how infinitely malleable is this thing that we have, this Americanism. Um, and maybe you're right. Maybe the fact that, 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 you know, people are no longer saying that God plays a role in their lives, even whatever that, that means to whatever people when they answer the survey, maybe that is cause for concern. And, you know, if there is no, at least a concept of a God, it doesn't, it doesn't amount to, to enough to rejuvenate this American faith, you know? Um, and maybe these things are, and maybe, maybe in that sense, it is becoming Europeanized. I guess I'm still struck by the weird, like, fervent nature of all of this that's happening here that I just don't see parallels, uh, in Europe. Um, I, that said, I haven't really been in Europe, uh, as sort of, you know, this American wokeism has, 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 has taken over. So I don't know how that's playing out there, but I feel like if I was there, even though there are all these New York Times think pieces being written now about how, you know, woke ideas are, are transforming Europe and this un- unwelcome sort of uh, import, I would guess that it's also landing differently over there. Well, it's, I mean, it's not part of my the thesis of – so that's actually probably more the thesis of my Atlantic article 
which again, I didn't want to delve in like too much just because I didn't want to be redundant. But I think that if I recall from my own article, I think that, and I don't know if you, to what extent you agreed with this aspect of it, but that because your uh, Western Europeans are able to fall back on a shared sense of history, and I don't mean like history just in the last couple centuries, but a longer history, but also a history that is based on shared ethnicity that if you you don't you don't have to go out of your way to be a believer because you already have something that is anchoring you and that is a particular like an ethnic conception of the nation state that if you're swedish dutch or german well germans are a little bit different because well that's a whole different story but in a lot of these nation states there is a i think a somewhat more straightforward conception of what it means to be Dutch, Swedish, or Norwegian, and that when you look at your fellow Norwegians, for the most part, except for like, you know, the three to 4% that are Muslim now, you know, everyone's basically white and, Nor and Norwegian in quotation marks. And you can just like live that way. And you can have a life of, of pleasure and high standards of living and a strong welfare state. And that allows you to not have to be searching for belief. And yet, and yet, a core component for a lot of these places is in fact an established church or, or an, but not, an, not an one that anyone takes seriously though. But, but interestingly enough, and again, this is, I guess, gets at the question huh, of like, you know, yeah. it gets at the question of like the sublimation of faith in the American context as opposed to elsewhere. I think, I think Americans take it more seriously, even when it's sublimated in a way that, that like it's, it's, core to the identity for an Italian or a Croatian to be Catholic. Um, however, even the faith itself is ornamental in many ways. It's where you take your kid to be baptized. It's uh, hmm. where you hmm. get married and where you bury your, your, your elders. It's and, basically an ethnic Christianity. Yeah, it's very yeah. much tied yeah. to the nation and the nation state in a way that has no, almost no theological content. Right. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a historian of this stuff of faith in Europe. And I, I'm sure mm. it varies by country where these breaks happen. But I would, I would suspect, I would suspect it's, it's, you know, uh, certainly, uh, you know, after the French Revolution, probably, uh, you know, with the rise of, of, of socialist ideas across the 19th century and almost certainly after the, after the, uh, convulsions of, First World War One, but especially World War Two, where hmm. uh, where a lot of this sort of like properly breaks. Um, so one could say that it's in in Western Europe, it's more belonging without belief. That's what a Christian heritage can offer. Where in the U.S., we still have, and that might change, and it is changing, belief without belonging. And maybe that's one oversimplified way of discussing it. I also like that you brought up World War II and the legacy of it because it's an interesting question of whether you can have a religious society after something like World War II and the Holocaust. And, you know, we were, we were spared that, uh, at least, you know, at least within our borders. Uh, we participated, obviously, but we didn't have to experience it the way that Europeans did. And, I just wonder that and that brings up the question of theodicy, that if you see this kind of carnage, whether it even really makes sense at some fundamental level to hold on to 
certain religious ideas. And I think that is also a key divergence between the U.S. and Western Europe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I, 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 I imagine stuff's been written on this, um, good philosophical stuff, but uh, it's, it's, it's beyond my pay grade at this point. I'm just sort of spitting in the wind. All right, Shadi. Uh, anything else you want to, you want to, <laughs> no, that just about there? covers it. Yeah. I mean, we should probably hype up the bonus episode that we're just about to record yeah. with our, uh, our relatively new associate editor, Matt Winesett. Some of you guys might have seen his stuff on, on the website. He's been a great addition to the team. Uh, we're waiting for him to kind of like, uh, um, to, to cavort into the door. Uh, that's maybe not the right verb, yeah. but to walk into Demir's apartment through the threshold, <laughs> through the threshold, and then so we'll record, you know, uh, for the first time a bonus episode with him for subscribers. So stay tuned for that. And again, we got a lot of exciting stuff in the pipeline for you guys. A new Friday essay, this new episode with Matt. Um, the we democracy have an, essays. We that have we're an ongoing doing, yeah. series, uh, the democracy essays that we're also very excited about. So this is a cool time for wisdom of crowds. So thanks guys for, and, and, and girls and women. Sorry. Easy. Thanks guys and women. Uh, I don't even know what you're supposed to say now, but thanks men and women. Thanks all of you <laughs> for just avoid all pronouns. <laughs> For supporting us and liking what we do. And um, until next time. Indeed. All right. Okay. Later, Shadi. Bye.